All right, everyone, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, November 29th, 2017 edition. We are uh, welcome to have uh, Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel on with us tonight. Uh, happy to have Jim with us. We're going to be uh, recapping the 2017 tropical Atlantic season. It's been a busy one, and Jim's been out most of them, so we're happy to have Jim tonight. Kind of talk about his experiences through all the uh, hurricanes and tropical storms and Kind of uh, ask him what his thoughts are on this season. But before we get to Jim, let's go over a few of the housekeeping rules. We are a live broadcast, so if you do want to interact with us tonight, uh, there's many ways you can do that. Uh, we are uh, live streaming right now on Facebook Live, on YouTube, and Periscope. So if you have any questions, feel free to uh, drop them in the uh, comment section or, or the comment bars, and we'll monitor those throughout the event. And if you want to tweet us, at Carolina WX Group, and submit your questions that way, we will uh, get those answered as well. And if you're listening on our podcast, maybe a few days from now, we'll let Jim uh, drop his uh, social media information towards the end of the show, and that way you can reach out to him. So we are going to uh, skip the roundtable discussion. I will say it's pretty cool to see James and Peter in the same Starbucks. We'll maybe get that story at the end of the show. But uh, to uh, get all our time with Jim, I'm going to toss it over to Ricky, and Ricky's going to conduct our interview. And again, if you have any questions, we will be monitoring throughout the show and make sure to get those asked. So, Ricky, off to you, my friend. All right. Thank you so much, Scotty. Uh, Jim, I first have to apologize for blowing up your social media accounts for all the members on our board here, because I'm pretty sure we probably sent you probably 30 notifications or so about tonight's <laughs> show. But that just shows you how excited we all are to uh, have you join. No, no, no. It's, it's a privilege. Uh, it, it's always great to talk to other Mets. Uh, that's one of the greatest things about working at the Weather Channel, actually, is to have you know, so many meteorologists around. So, you know, you guys are uh, part of the family here. So looking forward to it, man. So tonight we really want to talk about hurricanes. And, you know, at the Weather Channel, I think probably you're best known for your hurricane coverage. 2017 was really a remarkable year overall. Give us some of your just thoughts on the season in general. Well, I mean, mean, first of all, just kind of the irony of how the whole thing started uh, for me, because here I am, out covering this beautiful time for America with the eclipse, right? Where we had something go from the West Coast to the East Coast. And, you know, obviously, what can you say bad about the eclipse? It came at a time we really needed. We had a lot of political bashing going on. And here's this wonderful thing uh, as the eclipse. And I'm literally out covering that. And and, and I'm going to say maybe an hour and a half after that coverage concluded, the phone's ringing. Um, Jim, how quick can you get to Texas? I'm like, I have nothing to cover a hurricane with right now. I'm going to have to go home first, repack, and go out. And and from that point on, it was, you know, pretty much out the door for, for two months straight. And as you guys know, and, and as everybody knows, it was it was just a horrible season. Um, you know, our first Cat 4 since 2005, our first major since, since 2005, and then three Cat 4 landfalls. Uh, just I've never seen anything like it, especially for the Caribbean the kind of destruction and certainly the heartache for, for millions and millions of people. So to go from that, the eclipse, this wonderful moment to just hell for, for three months, uh, that, that's, that just sticks with me. That just sticks with me. I remember when the eclipse was coming up, they were actually model predictions that a hurricane may have been in the path totality at one yes. time. Yes. I remember tweeting about that. Yep. Crazy to think about, you know, this year and how many different science aspects have come up. But as you mentioned, this really was the first majorly active U.S. season for landfalls in so many years. Talk about how 
the differences in the last time we really had so many U.S. landfalls, I what would say 2005 maybe? Yeah, 2005, you know, 20, we had 29 and 28, whatever it was, uh, you know, named storms. They went right over through the new year into 2006. It was, it was ridiculous. But, you know, like 2005, uh, warm water, you know, very little shear, uh, especially in the, in the MDR in the main development region. And, and, and we saw, you know, three storms essentially fulfill their maximum potential. And, and then to not have anything to knock them down, uh, you know, they stayed strong for, for days and days and days, especially Irma. Irma set the, you know, the record for, for, for staying at cat five strength the longest number of hours. So, you know, it, it was just Katie bar the door. And unfortunately, the U.S. Um, and the Caribbean were, were big targets. So I want to kind of take the three major storms and break them down in terms of your thoughts on them, your coverage and stuff like that. Let's start with Harvey since you mentioned that one and you mentioned the, the quick turnaround. Uh, Harvey, to me, was a storm in terms of coverage that was almost unlike any we've seen before in terms of how we had to deal with a multi-day storm. It wasn't just the storm coming and going in you know 24 hours. It was so much that we had to deal with day after day after day. What type of toll does that take on you guys out in the field covering it? Well, it's so different this, this time because, you know, back in 2005, we were at the mercy of the satellite truck. If you couldn't put the dish up, you weren't broadcasting. It was that simple. Now with live view and the speed of the internet, you've got a full HD audio and visual signal out there. And so, you know, especially with Irma is a great example for us. You literally saw us take Irma's eye wall through Florida, okay, from Bettis and Naples to me and Fort Myers. We had Seidel and Miami getting flooded. So, I, I mean, we could stay up. And, and it's certainly more taxing on us because it's not like here we do a shot and we throw it back to the studio. Now we're essentially anchoring from the field uh, throughout throughout the entire storm. So, you know, that's certainly been a big change uh, over that 12-year period. Plus, when you look, when you go back and look at the track forecasts and the accuracy of the track forecasts and, and the fact that the models nailed those ridiculous precipitation forecasts for, for the Houston metro area, I, I mean, as bad as it was, we have to kind of tip our hats a little bit. I mean, this was some really good stuff from the computer models. And they allowed us to obviously not take the storms away, but give people probably some of the best preparation that we could. It almost reminds me of Sandy. I mean, think about when Sandy was projected to make that quick left turn. It was almost the point where we didn't believe the models for a while because they were so astronomically crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, October is a kind of a crazy month uh, for, for storms because you can get so many undulations as, as you start getting the mid-latitude jet streams dropping farther south. So, yeah, it, I, I, you're absolutely right to, to kind of agree and buy into that left term. The problem with Sandy, and thank goodness we didn't get into that this year, was the minutia of, okay, is this going to be fully tropical or not when it makes landfall? It doesn't matter. Okay, we, we, we focused on impacts all along regardless of – what it was become or how it was transforming. Uh, and, and a good example of that storm this year, I think, was Ophelia. You know, Ophelia stayed Cat 3 uh, as far east as we've ever seen anything. It stayed a hurricane as far east as we've seen anything and then morphed into this huge storm for, for Ireland and, and you know, created just – honestly, I wanted to go cover that. I, I really wanted to go cover that storm over an island just to, just to experience something that went extra tropical, but yet still had hurricane force wind gusts, still had 20 to 30 foot seas crashing onto the Ireland coast. I mean, just unthinkable, just unthinkable. 
you mentioned some of the new NHC stuff that we have this year, being able to issue warnings and watches, you know, even if it's not tropical. One of the other things that's come up a lot this year is the potential tropical cyclone product. Um, how has that been something for you guys to communicate? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I mean, look, just call it a depression and issue the advisories. Uh, I, I think it got confusing. I had a lot of people tweet me and say, Jim, are we calling them cyclones now? Okay, or, or why why are they cyclones versus uh, depressions or storms? I think that was a little bit that, that, that whole potential tropical cyclone, just that verbiage right there, I think created a little bit of confusion. I totally get it. I know why you wanted to put that out there, uh, and I think it certainly succeeded in that way. But, you know, as defined, a tropical depression is an area of low pressure, and I don't think they use that annotation enough. I think you should be able to put up warnings even if something's a tropical depression, especially if you feel comfortable uh, in the guidance that suggests it's going to explode or, or, or even develop further. And that was, so, that's my thing. And with Harvey, that was something we did see. It really rapidly yes. intensified. Um, how much do you, are you able to look at images and content out in the field when you're anchoring? Um, it's I, Especially when I, because I'm anchoring from the field now, now I have to look at it. Uh, I have to look at what's going on. I mean, sometimes I'll get some Twitter stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, my, my good buddy, Robin Seda from uh, Skywarn Spotters in New England, he would always like text me some of the stuff that was going on from some of the different spotter groups and real time information from a guy I totally trust uh, right there in the palm of my hand. So especially for Nate, as I'm getting like breaking wind gusts and things like that, uh, rainstorm outs, power outages, things like that. I've got it right there in the palm of my hand. So I almost need that kind of real time information uh, that we can that certainly we can get from from Storm Spotter Group. That was huge, huge. And so, you know, let's let's segue a little bit from Harvey to Irma. Irma was a really interesting storm to me because it also took a kind of a hook turn. But you guys, mm-hmm. uh, you had to kind of relocate your live shots, didn't you? As Irma was coming up because it went a little further west than we anticipated. Yeah, it, it, it's it kind of thank goodness first of all it flirted with Cuba. People don't realize this, but if it didn't spend time flirting with Cuba, I think even up here in Atlanta we would have had a horrible, horrible situation on our hands. The other thing too is, is we're going from Miami over to Fort Myers when they asked us to relocate. We're already we're already in the tropical storm force winds, so there, there's not time to sit around and locate the right position to broadcast from. And uh, you know my hugest appreciation to the Lee County Sheriff's office because I called, you know, I had a friend of mine in Miami call them and say, you know, I want, uh, I want a a bulletproof vest when I go out there because I am around all these trees. I'm going to get impaled. Uh, That's the last thing I want to, you know, because we're already getting a bad rap for being out there in the first place. So, all right, look, if I'm going to be out there, I got to at least take the precautions that I need to say, yeah, I'm going to be out there. I'm going to show you how, what the storm's doing, what it's going through, but I'm going to take precautions to hopefully reduce my chances of getting impaled. So hence the helmet and the, uh, and the body armor. You become a, a kind of, but a- it, it's tough sometimes, man. Last minute, you, you don't have that, that luxury of getting the type of logistics that you want for a live shot. Sure. Cause we were on live that morning in Miami. And then we moved, you know, as the storm was coming in and then all of a sudden, pretty much arrived on scene, had to set up shop. Uh, and I'm looking around, I got tile 
you know, roof shingles. I've got trees all around me. Some of them are non-natives. I'm like this, this with 145, remember it was still 145 miles an hour. This, this could not end well. Um, especially, you know, for, for, for a bald guy. So I need to get something, something on my head, something on my body, just, just in case, just in case. Yeah, I saw on good news is, it certainly was a lot less. I mean, I think we gusted to 100, not 145 miles an hour, but it was, it was certainly a lot less than, than, than what we uh, were planning for. But that's good. We like that. I saw on social media you had the opportunity to go down to Key West recently and kind of check in with Jim Eds and a few other people down yep. there and see some of the damage. What was that like? Yeah, we just went down um, a couple of weeks ago to record the throws, the ins and outs for our show that we're airing on December 3rd called Hurricanes 2017, Cruel and Unusual. Uh, that'll be 10 p.m. on the Weather Channel, by the way. We, you know, first of all, Big Pine Key is still absolute wreck. There's there's rubble everywhere. I mean, you could tell there was probably a four to six foot storm surge that haven't come out with the numbers yet. But there are, you know, people that, you know, are, have built their dream homes down there or, or located down there in Florida uh, are, are just doing as much cleanup as they can. Some of the houses are totaled. Uh, you know, the same thing we find on the central coast of Texas, which and I know we moved on to Irma, but I don't want to I don't want to skip this fact uh, like Katrina. You know, the, the, the true hurricane part of, of, of this, and I'm not saying that Harvey's flood was not part of the hurricane, but, you know, the New Orleans flood was a man-made disaster, and, and it happened in the metro area. So a lot of the attention went certainly up to Houston, as it should have. But you almost forgot a little bit what happened down in Port Aransas and Rockport. I mean, they had an, an, an oncoming, intensifying Category 4 hurricane. And I'm going to tell you this. Standing in Corpus Christi, just outside the eye wall in Harvey, I'm telling you, it was worse than being in Fort Myers with Irma. Whether that be due to frictional effects from the land or whatnot, um, I think the eye wall in Harvey, outside of it where I was, was worse than what I what I dealt with in Irma. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you it was because it was. I stood in it, in both of them. Do you think, Jim, and I noted this during Arthur, when I was on the coast, when Arthur was making landfall in North Carolina, intensifying storms at landfall just seems so much Worst more intense. Scenario. Yep. Yep. Because remember, I mean, just, just because now all of a sudden they get on shore, you know, if they're still in that intensifying mode uh, w- with the frictional effects, that doesn't mean they're just going to stop all of a sudden. And the fact that Harvey just literally came to a crawl means, so now you got to take this cat for hurricane down. So it's a wind machine. Plus it's starting to produce already these prolific rainfall amounts in Houston. So, you know, next day we went down, we showed, we showed you Rockport and Port Aransas uh, with live coverage, and then they're like, look it, next day get up to Houston. So literally we got into Houston, and there is pandemonium going. There's chaos everywhere. There's helicopters picking people off roofs, boats coming up to exits that are now flooded. You can't get off ramps. Uh, you know, you've got Army National Guard literally taking dozens and dozens of people of whatever they can grab. You know, people are upset. They're, they're visibly shaken. They're soaked to the bone. They've been either wading through water or being poured rain on. Uh, you know, it was just one of those situations where almost like after a, a tornado that it's just breaking. It's still breaking. And that went on for days because of the Houston flood and the water getting higher and higher. Um, and Harvey, Harvey was remarkable. And no question, Harvey, Irma, and Maria will be will be uh, retired names. No question in my mind. And, Jim, you, you're talking about that. Not only you, but other Weather Channel uh, crew members in the Houston area, you had to deal with the flash flooding, but also I remember, I think it was Sunday and Monday. That, I mean, there were several tornado warnings being issued for the Houston. Yes, 
the area. How did, I mean, you got people being rescued from flooding and then you got to take cover from tornadoes. How, how did you guys, how, how was that covering that aspect? Not only the flash flooding, but the potential for tornadoes. I mean, you know, when mother nature's firing at you, you just try to stay out of her way, right? Whether it be from the flood or, or, or from a tornado uh, potential. And, you know, even when they, the, the, these storms moved inland, um, they still were producing tornadoes. We had a massive number of tornadoes across Alabama. The, the South Carolina outbreak, outbreak we had with, um, oh gosh, was it Nate? Was it, which one, which one was it? Nate? I mean, just incredible, like huge supercells, uh, like I've never seen. So, uh, Florida during, um, Irma, I guess what they issued, like 65 tornado warnings, like a historic number of tornado warnings. Uh, you know, the, that's the whole thing. I mean, a hurricane is not just a, a wind machine. It, it moves water. It produces in these bands, you know, tornadoes. So there, there are multiple hazards, multiple hazards with an approaching uh, hurricane coming on shore. And like Ricky mentioned, especially with one that's uh, intensifying. With Irma, uh, one of the things that caught my attention was, and, and kind of with Harvey too, is how localized the incredibly damaging part of that eyewall is. You know, when we're talking about yes. communicating hurricanes, yes. I think a lot of times people think the entire 300-mile-wide path of the hurricane is going to be like that eyewall. And often that's not the case. But talk no. about the difficulty in communicating that and trying to have people visualize what may happen. Well, first of all, you know, we, we never know exactly where that eyewall is going, right? Because a jog a half a degree north or or you know, north or south makes all the difference in the world. And, and certainly the fact that we had the strongest part of the eye wall go north of Key West, you can clearly see when you come out of Key West, that's where the strongest damage is. It gets worse and worse as you go up through Cudjo and then into Big Pine Key and then over toward Everglades City once you get back on, you know, on the mainland again. So, you know, that it, it was that certainly eastern eye wall that never touched Cuba that, that hung together the best. But it, you know, we, we got to prepare everybody for what was a 145 mile hurricane. Um, did we know it was going to lose some of its punch with the interaction with Cuba? As a matter of fact, no, we didn't. We were, we were led to believe, uh, from even discussions that it was not going to do that. But thank goodness it did lose a little bit of steam, but still look at all the, the debris. There are people and my friends in Manita Springs that drive every day, uh, by piles and piles of debris. And there are still piles of debris, uh, especially over the keys. And, and remember, even though Big Pine Key took the eye wall, there was still a tremendous amount of wind and water up through the upper keys into Key Largo. Into And you saw what was going on in Miami with Seidel shots, you know, and that's salt water that's coming in uh, to the financial district. So uh, that was just incredible. Jacksonville, the floods in Jacksonville, the tornado warnings that they had, the foot of rain that they had with Irma uh, in Jacksonville, of course, causing historic flooding up there. So. I mean, sometimes I don't think we can anticipate everything with these because each one, I've been in 94 storms, all right? Nate was my 94th, and, and we've, each one of them has something different, some different type of characteristic. Was Irma almost a perfect track for the most damage in Florida? Let's say if it had gone a little bit further west, uh, would it have been almost a worst-case scenario with flooding on the east side off the Atlantic Ocean, an eye wall potentially coming towards Tampa, uh, and all the surge from Tampa Bay, and of course flooding in Miami as well. Yeah, yeah. I think the fact that we lo- really lost that uh, that Western Eye Wall uh, saved the West Coast, and which is why remember the huge evacuations 
for Southwest Florida were because of the storm surge. So here you've got all these people um, evacuating because of the storm surge. We're looking at all this video. People are out walking in the bay because the offshore wind was so strong, it actually pushed the water out into the Gulf of Mexico. Should that western eye wall have not collapsed, as soon as that weakened or the storm pulled to the north and that wind changed direction, and we see this all the time, especially in the Outer Banks, that wind comes around from a different direction, and then it shoves the water back in, and it piles it up back in. And that was the reason for the mass evacuation. But the fact that that thing flirted with Cuba and it lost its western eye wall, uh, I think saved Southwest Florida from a much, much worse case scenario. And like you said, even Tampa Bay, potentially with the strength of this thing. Uh, the Weather Channel, you know, has Brian Norcross and some other hurricane experts now. Talk about having them and having Brian's experience when it comes to Florida and especially the Miami area. Is it, you know, Brian's just an awesome human being. Um, you know, he, 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 he knows how to set the right tone. Uh, for the storm, he, he obviously knows Florida code, building code. He was a part of all those discussions. Um, I mean, having his expertise is second to none. To, to you know, uh, yes. Do I miss Michael Lowry? Absolutely. He he was a star, and, and, I, and I totally miss him. And I know he missed being on the air this season. But you know, life is life, and, and that's the way it goes. But to have Dr. Rick Nab back, uh, a man that we all respect and admire, and, and certainly his expertise. You know, and that's, I think, what, what saved a lot of our coverage, too, because even when we're in the field and we're getting pelted and hammered, yeah, the pe- people see that in the field, but to be able to, and Eric, you know, Dr. Erica Navarro, Erica was great, right on the scene and boom, right into the fire, and she was just fantastic. To have, you know, the conversations going on between, you know, the scientists, the doctors of, of meteorology and, and, and us out in the field reporting, uh, I think kind of just you know, kind of paint this picture of, of what's really going on and, and, and send home the message. Uh, you know, we ask you, and this is what I tell people all the time. We, we ask you to evacuate, but just trust us. We're going to put ourselves and our crew in the best position to take you through the storm. We're going to show you as long as, you know, technology allows us to uh, what's going on out there and, and, and what you may deal with when you come back home. Don't worry about it. Evacuate like you're asked. We'll show you what's happening when you're in a safe location and you can watch us on TV. A couple last points with Irma, and then we'll jump over to Maria. Irma, for not just Florida, but for South Carolina, for Georgia, was a remarkable windstorm. Talk about uh, really the first, I would say, tropical storm in quite a while, or hurricane in quite a while, that went that far inland and produced that much widespread wind damage, maybe since uh, Katrina or Ivan? Uh yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, Ivan had a lot of wind wind damage. Ivan was known more for its flood in North Georgia. The Acusa, I remember the Kusawati River in LJ uh, rose pretty high, like over 17 feet. Uh, Opal back in 1995 was was one of those storms that developed rapidly. It was winding down at landfall, but it was also accelerating. It got picked up by a, a strong trough in October. And it brought a lot of that wind energy up into northern Georgia. And, and that was, I'm going to say that, that this situation with the wind was as bad as that, uh, if not worse, possibly even worse for the Atlanta metro area. But it's the first time I think the office, uh, Stelman was telling me that issued a, a tropical storm warning. You know, and, and that, and that's the kind of thing that gets people's attention. Oh my gosh, we have a tropical storm coming. You know what's with tropical storms? You know, winds are going to be strong. They're going to be, uh, 
you know, having the potential to take down tree limbs and, and, and obviously cause power losses. So those are the kind of things I think with the, with the tropical storm warning that get people prepared. Not, not, nothing beats that. One last point on uh, Irma for me, and then we'll segue to Shay with uh, Maria. But the power outages, that was the number, I think, mm-hmm. that lives on with Irma, that just the massive amount of power outage we saw across the state of Florida. I can't remember the exact number, but it was million, you know, it was millions of people that power. And then the fact that it took so long. But, I, I mean, think about this. Where, where, where were people going to be staged for this thing? You couldn't really go on the east side because that's where the storm was first going to go. Uh, if it shifted west, you couldn't be there. If you shifted off to the east, you could get in the surge now because it's all coming in on the east side of Florida. So, we're, you know, I think a lot of the trucks and the logistics were very hard for Florida because Irma's wind field, like you said, was so strong and was going to affect so many areas. So you can't have the recovery trapped in a location where they can't get out and do their job. So logistically, I think that presented a tremendous challenge. The problem is, unlike back in 2005, when Wilma came through and we had a beautiful cold front that pushed it through, temperatures were in the 70s. People could enjoy, uh, you know, their windows open even during the day. That's not the case here. It, it was hot. It was humid. You've got elderly people, you know, back in their homes now. It's in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so that was really a horrible situation. And, you know, you, you go day one, day two, okay. That, that, that's not bad. But day three without power, without a hot shower, day four without power, day five, now you're getting into a humanitarian crisis. So, uh, and certainly, you know, th- this isn't the greatest segue to Maria. I don't know what is because they still don't have power back on the entire island and they won't before the end of the year. Yeah. I think that was the, the big lesson I learned with Hurricane Isabel in 03 was the aftermath sucks. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. Yes. We were without power for two weeks in uh, Hampton Roads. So. I mean, one of the things I remember – um, from from our new FEMA director, uh, Brock Long. You know, he, his thing was like, manage your expectations here. You know, be realistic about the expectations. Or no, actually, I think it was Governor Scott, Governor Rick Scott in Florida. He said, you know, don't, don't think that it's going to just get cleaned up and picked up uh, tomorrow or even in the next week. This is a big hurricane. It's going to cause a lot of problems. You know, manage your expectations. I thought that was... I, I remember that. I remember we played that bite a lot to people. And, you know, I, I know it's easier said than done, but I, but I think it set a very good tone for how people dealt with the storm afterward. Shay, you had something you wanted to bring in with uh, regards to Maria? Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of uh, aftermath, see, I was here for Hugo in 89, and uh, that was that was pretty devastating here, here for Charleston, yeah. as well as many other spots around the, the South Carolina coast and even inland, pushing inland all the way to the mid state and up into North Carolina. Yeah, but, remember the tree damage for um, Charlotte. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was incredible. Uh, you know, and eerily similar was the track of Maria to start heading across Puerto Rico, which was just on the tail of Irma. Uh, surprisingly right. enough. And, and one thing I want to ask you was how surprised were you to see a rapid intensification of another category five right behind Irma in the same area? I know Irma was a little bit further to the North over Anguilla and then went across uh, BVI, USVI, but uh, Maria was very close, and you would think that the ocean sea surface temperatures would have they cooled. Didn't. Would have they never cool. Yeah. Right. They never. So, okay. So what does that tell you? We have we have very deep uh, ocean heat content. You know, so th- that's a little bit of an alarm that I think we need to look into. You know, why didn't we get upwelling? Uh, and so what Shay's leading to, guys, is the fact that when you get these storm tracks, especially with powerful hurricanes in their wind field, they're going to essentially pull up 
the cooler water from below. But the, the problem is, is there's so much hot water deep into the ocean. There wasn't, okay, fine. You, you, you went from, um, 30 Celsius to, to 28 Celsius or 26 Celsius. That's still plenty warm enough to support, uh, you know, tropical development, especially given the fact that if you look at the main development region and the shear, for uh, really July, August, and September, and even into early October, there was no shear. So these things had free reign to just explode and go bonkers. But I think, you know, ocean heat content and these warm ocean waters that we had this year set the tone. And then the fact that the shear essentially just stopped. Now you've got a chance to to uh, get a big monster. And, and unfortunately, we got three of them. Yep, it sort of makes you think what's causing the rapid intensification. I know that's sort of a uh, an ongoing study, and, and yes. I want to understand that more. Uh, but even with you know trying to factor in sea surface temperatures, and you look at the Saharan air layer for dust, and you look at all these different factors in, in the same area within a week or nine days, two major hurricanes formed, and they were able to withhold their energy all through this area. Um, and like you said, deep. Deep water, you know, the epipelagic mm-hmm. zone is, is very deep uh, with the warm water all the way down to 200 meters at least. You know, how the Caribbean, uh, the deep Caribbean, central and western Caribbean, uh, certainly had higher he- ocean heat content. But what does that say for the data that we're getting for other areas? In, in terms of what, though? In terms of, you know, how what we can see out of some of these storms? In terms of what we're, what kind of data we're getting from satellite feed on sea surface temperatures and other, other forms of uh, data over, say, the Leeward Islands or the Windward Islands. Well, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's something we have to pay attention to. You know, is, is this where, in fact, the carbon's being stored? Is this where the heat's being stored? Probably yes. Uh, you know, I think Ophelia is another great example of, even though we didn't really see an impact from that, we should study that. Look at how far north it was and it stayed a hurricane. Um, you know, what, what kept it a hurricane, even when the water temperature dropped below uh, 80 degrees, you know, dropped below 75 degrees, even down in the upper 60s, you still had a very definable eye wall on satellite. You know, what, what, what's going on here? So obviously, like you said, it's not just the water, it's, it's other drivers uh, in the atmosphere that are helping to, uh, to cause these storms to explode. But I don't have all the answers, uh, you know, and I don't think anybody does really. What, what makes these things go from a depression to a storm to all of a sudden really the top of the scale for the Atlantic Basin, which we saw, you know, three times essentially. All right, well, let's, uh, let's kind of recap here. It's a little bit after 7.30 here. We'll let Jim take a, a quick break. I do want to bring in Ashley Moore. She is Emergency Management Specialist for Williamson County, Texas. So Ashley is joining us as well. <sighs> Ashley, uh, happy to have you this evening. And uh, Ashley will be joining us for the next several shows. So uh, maybe uh, more of a regular figure here on the Carolina Weather Group. So, Ashley, we appreciate that. We are with Jim Cantori tonight, kind of recapping the uh, 2017 tropics, tropics and uh, just the active season that it has been so far. And so far, uh, we have got a, a lot of comments coming in on the show. Shay, I think you and Peter had a, a few questions that were from our viewers. So, uh, if you want to draw those up right quick, and then we'll toss it back to Ricky, and we'll we'll kind of finish the second half of our interview uh, for for the show. I think okay, mine mine comes from uh, G- I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ricky. Is that you? Go ahead, Jay. My bad. Okay, uh, Jeannie Jeannie Cahill uh, asks: Is there such a thing as an area being due 
for a big hurricane because one hasn't happened in years. You know, we, we went for a long stint for a, well over a decade uh, of no major hurricane landfalls in the United States. But, uh, for example, another Hugo, my thought is that it depends on weather patterns and all the factors coming together that things mm-hmm. just happen. Uh, that there may be more of a chance location, but I don't believe an area can be due for one. What do you think? You know, yeah, every, you know, if you live on the coast, you're, you're just as due as anybody else. Sure. Are there more hurricane prone areas over the years climatologically? Yes. South Florida, uh, you know, the upper Texas coast, Louisiana, the outer banks certainly come to mind. There are more areas that just kind of stick out there than others. You know, we had, we haven't had a lot of action in Jacksonville, but tell the folks that they're that. I mean, they had to deal with Matthew last year, uh, you know, on the Jacks, on the St. John's River. They had to deal with Irma, which was here on the west side weakening in Florida, but she still had high water rise and issues with storms. So, you know, impacts go much, much farther away from the center. And that's why we always tell everybody, you know, don't pay attention to just where that center is going. That's what the cone represents. Yes. But those impacts, and I, and I do love, you guys mentioned earlier about the hurricane center changes. I do love the fact that you see the wind field now, like the tropical storm wind field on the cone. So that gives a kind of a nice visual to people that, oh, wow, I'm going to get tropical storm force winds. Even though we're not in the cone, we're going to get tropical storm force wind gusts, and we need to prepare for that. So that, that's, Ashley, that's what I think is a good answer to that question. As working in emergency management, is that something you guys have really liked this year, especially with like Harvey and storms that have come close to Texas? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, basically we're always just preparing, um, for any kind of hurricanes that might come our way. Uh, we kind of knew this season would be a little more to expect on the hurricane spectrum, especially because of the ocean temperatures and the lack of shear, like he was saying. So, um, we, it definitely would impact our preparedness and our side of that. And also just to join into, I'll take any other emergency management aspect questions that you guys might have. Very good. I'm sure we'll come back to you. We were just getting ready to talk about Maria, so I'm sure we'll we'll probably jump back in with that here in just a minute. We had another viewer question from Peter, right? Yeah, we sure do. I'm sorry if you hear any noise. There's a delivery coming through, so just ignore that. Um, but Shamar Davis wants to know uh, what Jim thinks about the tornadoes this year in Georgia. Uh, there was a lot of tornado outbreaks and stuff in Georgia this year. You know, it's really funny. I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday. We had... 214 tornadoes in the state of Georgia. I, I think that's a record for the state in terms of the numbers. I don't know where it lies nationally in terms of state rank, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be up there. But whether it be from, you know, this going from late winter with, with how the atmosphere kind of set up, uh, it just seemed like the atmosphere wanted to unload on Georgia. And no, we can't predict who's next in line for the, the next disaster, but sometimes the atmosphere does repeat itself. We saw that in 2004 with the hurricane barrage in Florida. I think sometimes you see that, uh, you know, we, we've seen it in Alabama, certainly in, in, in past years. We've seen it in Oklahoma with, with tornadoes that almost go over the exact same areas. So we can get little mini patterns that set up that, that can repeat themselves. And sometimes it may be just that same year that they set up. That doesn't always happen. I don't think you can lie on that. But for whatever reason, the atmosphere kind of locked everything together for tornado genesis uh, on the state of Georgia this year, sadly enough. Plus, you had hurricanes. Okay, one more one more question. Uh, Jeff Woodard asked, did you give the SWAT gear back to Fort Myers PD? I did not because the lady who made it for them said, Jim, you can actually keep it. And so you will see it out on a future hurricane. 
and I'm totally ha- totally stoked to have it as a part of the arsenal. So we've got the wetsuit, the dry suit now. Now we got a, you know, we got some body armor. So I'm psyched. We're gonna have the official Jim Cantori uh, <laughs> like armor pack. You know, like those helmets for yeah, yeah. we're gonna have Ta- that. tactical up. tactical tropical pack. You know, I, I got to be honest with you guys. I I definitely felt safer out there um, with that on. I, I, I mean, I got to be honest with you. Maybe it's just old age. I don't know, but it, it, was, it was nice to know that you had wind and debris flying around over your head. Hey, I to, to I, just I, have that on there. I've got one more. I know we were. I just got this one from actually one of the guys that I work with. And Jim, you had mentioned it earlier about Tropical Storm Nate and the tornadoes that happen in North Carolina. Uh, they wanted to know maybe if you could kind of talk about how the higher terrain in South and North Carolina kind of intensifies those tornadoes as they're moving uh, into the hillier locations of Western South Carolina and Western North Carolina. I mean, I, I, first of all, I just think the whole atmosphere was set up that day. Okay, so now here you have this band, uh, you know, that's associated with the storm as it's come ashore, now rotating up into that instability and, and these storms just, uh, you know, blew up. You had some great shear, got some great low level shear. But, you know, what, what can certainly happen there is uh, you, you do have frictional effects from the mountains. I mean, people think a lot of times that, that well, once the storm, storms get, storm get in the mountain, they're just going to disappear. No. I, I mean, I remember seeing video in 2011 of a tornado literally going over the hill and coming back down the other side of it intact. Okay. So sometimes the, the winds, the topography itself can actually create stronger inflow into, into these supercells and, and just be enough to maybe kick off tornado Genesis. But even these were essentially, these were storms that were coming out of the Midlands and moving to the North and, you know, they had hooks on them. It was just like whole, I I just remember getting out. I think I was getting on a plane or something after that. Like, Oh my God, look at these things. These are like Midwest, you know, plain supercells here, uh, and, and they're going to be awful, you know, and, and in some cases they were. They caused a lot of damage. But you can get the topography enhancing tornado genesis. Ricky, you know that, uh, being in eastern North Carolina. Yeah, we uh, we have a tornado in my DMA, Camp Creek 2011, that the Weather Service thinks actually was caused by it coming down off a mountain, and kind of the vortex stretching and all that that's involved with that. So mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll send you some information on that when I dig it up. Um, let, let's Quickly jump over to Maria. We're getting close to the uh, top of the hour here. Uh, Jim, Maria was just a storm for Puerto Rico that they have not seen in so many years. And really, it's going to be one that goes down in Puerto Rican history, I think. No question. Um, when a storm moves essentially over the, the longest part of the island, and just because it wasn't a five anymore, it was still a strong four. There's really not a lot of difference. When you, you, know, when you see trees... Uh, stripped of their leaves and stripped of bark, you know something pretty powerful went through there. Okay, so whether it was a four or five, a strong four or a minimal five, it didn't matter. It was still really the same essential physics going on there in terms of intensity. Uh, you know, how how can an island prepare for something like that? Um, I, I don't know if you can. It's not like we can pre-position supplies somewhere on the island, especially given that track. All right. I, I think we certainly do have to do a better job in, in how we're going to rebuild Puerto Rico to get them back on their feet. Because, I mean, let's face it, they're right there in a climatological favored path of, of, of hurricanes that, that come across the ocean. So uh, it won't be their last hurricane, unfortunately. Hopefully it'll be their last one that, that that's that strong. But that was, you know, probably the worst hurricane um, that Puerto Rico's ever had. 
Ashley, can you speak for a moment on the difficulties of getting supplies to an area after a storm? Obviously, Puerto Rico is an island, so it's got its own challenges. But just from like a landlocked location in Texas, the difficulties of getting supplies in in the wake of a storm. Yeah, definitely. So one of our big jobs in emergency management is going to be management of resources. So it's our job to assess what we need and it's our job to get it there while also keeping documentation and also making sure that we manage that along with the budget because we're designated a certain amount to spend on that kind of thing. Um, The big issue with that is, like you said, it's an island and it's not necessarily a big piece of land like we have in the continental U.S. So the first thing you'd want to do is just establish a place to put all of the goods. And if you have an island that's just widely devastated, it's going to be pretty hard to kind of find a place to triage all of those materials. Shipping um, it over there, too. I think a really big problem with resources as well was we were still reeling from Harvey yes. and the other impacts that we had in, on this side. So FEMA had a ton of resources and people and manpower already going into those disasters. So I think that really hurt um, the recovery efforts there as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's the first year, once again, that we've had so many numerous landfalls and, you know, had to deal with them all at once. Uh, Let's hit on two more topics here. One of the big things I think this year, Jim, was Go 16. And some of the first images we've got of an awesome satellite uh, on a hurricane season. Just give us your thoughts on some of the, the images we've seen. I mean, go right back to, to Puerto Rico, losing their radar, okay? And and the only thing they have now is data that they can look at from GO-16. And that high-resolution data allowed them to continue to make forecasts, uh, continue to look at other tropical waves that may not have developed, but we're going to have some pretty heavy rain with them. Because of that higher-resolution satellite, uh, I, I think they uh, were allowed to make really good forecasts uh, going forward, especially for the recovery effort, which was Pretty much widespread over the entire island. I remember there were some um, flash flood warnings actually yes, based yeah. off sat- satellite data. Based off satellite data. Uh, the, the other thing, too, and we haven't talked about this because we're talking about hurricanes, is you know one of the things I, I learned in, in the GO-16 class is you can actually see fires before a lot of them have even been reported. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some of the some of the which is awesome to get a head start on a fire, especially one that's a wind driven fire, is huge, huge. Uh, didn't help California this year, unfortunately, but you know some of these places in the plains in eastern Colorado, where sometimes we get these brush fires, you can see them long before anybody's even reported them. So having Go sixteen, the slew of data, the new data satellite that just went up, um, JPSS was it the yeah JPSS? I mean, I think that's going to be fantastic in getting even more data into the models in the future. The more data we can get, the better we can crunch those numbers. The higher the resolution, we're going to get, I think, better output. But let's not take away from what we had this year. Uh, in the best track forecasts, I think it was from Eric Blake, that we've ever had um, in, in the history of, of hurricanes. So that's that's a good thing because as bad as they are, at least we have an idea they're coming, right? Yeah. Eric, I think you had a question real quick. Yeah, sure. Hey, Jim. Um, you mentioned a couple of times, uh, once off the top and then again a few minutes ago, about you know a couple of these storms kind of getting towards their max potential. Uh, I know Irma got up to 185 miles an hour, stayed there for a long time in pretty nearly ideal conditions. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on, you know, given kind of the state of the climate as it is right now, is that is that about as, as big as you can expect at this point, at least as far as uh, wind strength. I know you got you know a lot of different types of impacts, but um, how much stronger can can something like that get with the with the ideal circumstances? 
I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I, I mean, I, th- I think that that's pretty much the top of the scale. Could we get to 190, 200 miles an hour, uh, potentially? I mean, let's think about it. These are heat engines, right? So they're going to drive off that, that ocean heat content. And if we can get the process to take in as much heat as we can give it, sure. You can, it's like giving it higher octane, right? Just like a, like a car engine. So, um, for now, yeah, what we've seen is the, is the top of the scale, but could that scale go up? I, I think so, a little bit. Well, and we see some 200s, you know, in the, in the Western Pacific more often because yeah. you don't have as many uh, islands in the way to disrupt and, and so forth before they get there. But the, the other thing, too, is it's one thing getting there, but to stay at that intensity, to stay at that, to maintain that intensity with literally nothing to stop it. No, no wind shear, no cooler water, or no upwelling. I mean, that's what was most amazing to me, the hours that we spent at that max intensity. And Jim, that kind of gets me into um, this next topic, which is ACE. Uh, this is, let me make sure to present this to everybody. Uh, Philip see that. Plotzbach, uh, you know, for September, the highest ACE I think ever recorded uh, for the yeah, Atlantic. There, there you go. And I mean, you know, that, that shows you a picture right there of just how warm, how, how much ocean heat content we had. What, what do you think this means? I know that we had the Pacific was really in a lower state of activity. Uh, and while the Atlantic was really blowing up and we weren't even in a La Nina phase at that time, what does this mean to you? Uh, a, that number on its own right is amazing for, for the Atlantic Basin in any month. Um, obviously, you're going to see that peaked out during the peak of our season. But think about that, too, and the fact that a lot of these storms went over the same tracks. So, uh, you know, did, did, could we have had a, a higher ace even? Um, it, I just think it represents a perfect atmosphere uh, over the main development region uh, when, the, when, these, when these hurricanes reach their full potential. And, they, and like I said, guys, that's what was most amazing. That's what that says. These things stayed about as strong as they could be for as, as many days as they possibly could. Steering flow was light. So, I mean, there was, really, there was no easterly shear. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible sight to watch both on the satellite and and certainly, sadly, the aftermath. And what do you think this may hold for the future? I know I've seen a few articles starting to come out now about possible uh, next year and, and maybe the numbers being a little bit higher as well there. Look, I mean, if we go into the season, um, you know, certainly with a, with a La Nina or, or, you know, a similar wind setup, and I, I think uh, with a similar ocean water temperatures, you know, I think we can expect similar hurricanes. Will they follow the same paths? I, you know, nobody knows that. But there's there's nothing that says the Atlantic won't keep churning out powerful uh, hurricanes when you have a light shear, warm ocean, you know, couplet, if you will, like like we had this year. Uh, let's see, Scotty, you had a question to bring in real quick, and then I want to jump over social media. Yeah, we had one last, and sorry guys for all those who are watching. Uh, we've got so many questions for Jim and we have just a little bit of time, but this kind of fits in with what we're talking about. This is from Rick Lossie. Uh, Rick was saying 2004, 2005 was kind of back to back, uh, bad hurricane seasons. Do you feel like 2018 yeah. may be kind of a bookmark of another bad season? It, you know, I mean, again, we, we, we never know how many are going to, uh, reach land. But, you know, could we get uh, similar strength in, in, in some of these hurricanes? Could we get another three to six majors? I think it's absolutely possible. And, and you know, think about it. We, we started off in April with 
what could have been, you remember an El Nino coming in for a forecast for the late fall. So a lot, I think a lot of those predictions initially were down. And once our confidence was there in the fact that we weren't going to get that El Nino, then it's like, oh, look, now we've got nothing. Now we really don't have anything with some of these other parameters that we're seeing with the warm water and the light shear uh, that there's no reason why we shouldn't get very powerful storms. And, and so it was kind of later on you saw a lot of these forecasts come around. So now we start with kind of a clean slate. Will the numbers be high um, going in? Possibly. But, again, it all depends on how many of these affect land. If they all stay over the water. That's great news for everybody. But if they start touching North America and the Caribbean, not good. Right? That's what matters, where, 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 how much of the impact we have. People matter. Jim? Yep. Um, not Jim. I'm sorry. James. I mean, Jay's in here tonight. Let's uh, bring you in. You had a question. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, my mother still calls me Jim. Um, and Jim, thanks for coming on tonight. I wanted to know uh, from a broadcast pr- perspective, how has social media, how has tool sets like the National Weather Service chat changed your job over over the years? I, I love chat. Um, I love uh, you know Twitter. I, I think for us as meteorologists, the longer we can make it. Tw- I mean, do we need to use all 280 characters? I don't know. But I think for, for us as, as broadcasters and in, in even NWS, um, whether you're, you're private or, or, or government, the, the fact that we can now explain a little bit more about where, where we want to go with that tweet is, is, is better for us. Uh, we can, you know, if this, then that, because there's all, there's never a clear cut answer when we go to a forecast, but there's all, there's always some subtleties that we should certainly mention when it comes to kind of throwing out that forecast. Uh, but I, I think Twitter's a great tool. I've always loved it. Um, I, I've met a lot of great people on Twitter, people I, I haven't even met yet at a conference. Uh, there's a lot of people I, I pay attention to and, and even learn from. I think it's educational for us as scientists and, and the public as well. Uh, sure. Are there times where Jim puts out a tweet that's incorrect or, or um, there's a picture that comes across Twitter that's an old storm? The wonderful thing is Twitter self-corrects pretty quickly. Uh, and I think overall there's a lot of good that wants to be accomplished by Twitter and, and a lot of good information that gets out there. And, and, I, and I certainly think it's a, it's a huge part of our arsenal now in communicating the message. All right. Um, Jim, I want you, if you can, to pick one of the three major storms and which one will go down as the most I guess the most memorable storm for 2017, Maria, Irma, or Harvey? Uh, for me personally, sure. Okay, yeah, because it has to be. I mean, because if you're in if you're in Puerto Rico, Harvey doesn't mean much to you, right? Um, so for me personally, I mean, I, I think Harvey was was certainly the most challenging, just because it was a multi hat. We went from you know the eye wall destruction to you know all of a sudden jumping into Houston's chaos and the flood. And to to not only see the predictions for that come true, I, I thought was a great thing for us meteorologically, but sadly it was right over a metro area, our fourth largest city in the country. So I, that, that one to me stands out. I think all three of them will be retired in terms of their names because of uh, what they were and, and the history that's associated with each one of them. But Harvey, to me, was certainly the most challenging, especially coming off of, like I started the show with you guys, this this euphoric moment for, for the country and watching this beautiful eclipse go from the West Coast to the East Coast and out over the Atlantic. Uh, and then literally 
the next day being in position to talk about what could be, uh, it wasn't supposed to be a category four, but now we know we have a hurricane potentially coming toward the Texas coast. And that's how quick we had to change things over. So I'm going to remember probably for me, Harvey, the most. Certainly a very memorable storm. All right. Well, I think we've hit on, on most of the topics of the 2017 hurricane season. We've got a lot of viewers in North Carolina and a lot of them want to know about snow. And so if you're all right with it, let's segue for just a minute. Uh, and I want to ask if you have any memorable North Carolina snowstorms. Yes. And it's the one I wasn't there for. Okay. So, so here comes this, you know, cause first of all, it's very difficult to forecast and pinpoint snow in the South. Uh, you have to forecast the timing, what time of the day does it happen? The other thing is, too, is it going to go to 40 degrees the next day or is it going to go to 14 and stay that way for three days like we had in Atlanta, which was a complete disaster? So there's a lot of things that go in just in addition to the snowfall forecast. But this particular situation was for Charlotte, and it was it was kind of a two-pronged storm. One wave would come up and dump the first round of snow. That busted. So they busted me and brought me home. But now I came home. And, and Charlotte got six to eight inches of snow uh, that evening and overnight. And it was, of course, it was a complete disaster the next day. So that one was the most memorable one for me, certainly, uh, in the state of North Carolina. Do you one have, that I missed. You got any thoughts on the upcoming pattern and what it may mean for snow on the East Coast? Well, we're definitely going to a big trough. Okay. You know, the warm 70s that we're dealing with and 60s that we're dealing with uh, are going to be gone by next Wednesday. We're going to have the front off the East Coast. Uh, I think if you're going to get active weather, you know, we need to get some big undulations in the pattern. We're going to see that. Uh, what results out of that, no, nobody really knows yet. But I certainly think that gives us a better chance to kind of get out of really what has been a very mundane pattern, a very great pattern for people that have been traveling to and from grandma's house for Thanksgiving. I mean, you had very, very little uh, in, in the way of problems nationally. But I think that is going to change certainly as we get into the uh, probably about the December 6th through 10th and then uh, heading potentially toward Christmas. We'll see. All right, Jim. One question. One question about snow. It's not really dealing with the Carolinas. Not, <laughs> Does that not, have to do with thunder? Not only are you great at covering hurricanes and, and tornadoes, talk to us about the thunder snow episodes. You, you've got to witness a lot of these, something that a lot of us have never really got to witness. So, so talk to us about your excitement of witnessing this. Yeah, so on live television, guys, I've been in five of these episodes, which is just unthinkable, first of all. To even have five with or without being on TV is, is a whole amazing part. But but um, the, the last one, of course, was February 15th of 2015 when it just never stopped snowing in Boston. And, and I'll give you a kind of a little inside story on that. I was basically in Boston covering the snowstorm. And we didn't have to move because every other day there was a forecast for snow and impact snow for the Boston metro area. So they're like, Jim, listen, we want you to get down to the Cape because the winds are going to be a little bit stronger and you're going to get some heavy snow. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. And so Reynolds Wolf took over for me uh, in Boston. So here I am in Plymouth. Reynolds is in, uh, in Boston at about five Oh five in the morning. I see him getting thunder and lightning in his shot. I was completely demoralized. I'm like, no, I just left there. I could have gotten thunder. So I was completely demoralized. I literally went face down in the snow. 15 minutes later, I got it. 
And so I went from down here to way up here, uh, literally in just a minute. So, so the euphoria, that's what created, I think, that whole reaction. And then it happened again, and it happened again, and it happened again right in that spot. So now when I go out and cover a snowstorm, okay, it's not about where's the most snow going to be, but where and when are we going to get the potential for thunder snow? That, that's the first thing I'm looking at these days. Uh, now, now again, I want to kind of put a little asterisk here. Do I encourage people to go out when there's thunder and lightning? No, 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 I do not. Uh, and I probably shouldn't be out there as well. All right. We all, we all know that, but there's just, I can't tell you what it is, but there's just something about being out there when it's snowing literally two, three, four inches an hour. And all of a sudden you get a flash of lightning. The whole sky goes pink and purple. You hear this muffled thunder coming through. It's just kind of the atmosphere at its best in a, in a wintertime situation. And it, it's, it, frankly, it's just cool to be out in it. It really is. It just gets me pretty jacked. I remember the first time I experienced thunder snow. I was like seven years old. It was a minor snow event we had in Hampton Road. It scared the hell out of me because I didn't expect thunder and lightning. <laughs> right. But see, see that though, that's that coastal land interface. Yeah. So you, especially with a developing nor'easter or, or coastal low, you, you know that that land ocean interface kind of gives you a chance to to get these strong bands that come in off the ocean uh, and produce the the elevated thunder and lightning. So it's it's pretty cool. And, I, and what's really weird is I grew up in Vermont, so I never really experienced it that far inland. Or if I did, it was it was in the mountains somewhere where where I couldn't hear it down in the Connecticut River Valley, which is where I lived. But to, to get it for the first time in Worcester um, in 1995 and Chicago twice, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and, of course, Plymouth, Mass., it's been a good ride, man. Coming up in North Carolina, it seems like we always end up with thunder snow just because you, you have to have strong dynamics in play to get snow. Yes, in- to get snow in the first place, yep. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right. All right. Well, we've really enjoyed you coming on tonight, and thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Let people know um, how they can get in touch with you on social media and stuff if they want to follow your tweets and uh, maybe send a tweet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at Jim Cantori. Um, for the record, you know, I don't do much on Facebook. A lot of my tweets will go to my Facebook page. I, I typically use Twitter for my profession, for meteorology. And, you know, if you want to see what Cantori is doing in his personal life a little bit more, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, that's where I keep, you know, show a lot of pictures of my, what I'm doing with my family. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a big tree nut. I collect Japanese maples. You can see all the great color we've had uh, this fall, uh, with some of my Japanese maples. So that's, that's my life in a nutshell here, guys. And, but, um, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And since Thank we're the Carolina much. weather group and I see so many race cars behind you, do you have a favorite NASCAR driver? You know, Bobby Labonte, um, was, was kind of my, the first guy that I, uh, kind of attach myself to, uh, you know, love watching Jimmy Johnson, you know, uh, Truax Jr. Who just won. I'm glad to see him won. I, I started collecting a couple of his cars way, way back when. So, um, you know, and, and I'll tell you right now, like I went for a ride with Kyle Busch in the NBC car and I'm telling you right now, uh, of course I'm in the drive. You remember I'm in the passenger side and Kyle's <laughs> we're going around. I'm, I'm right near the wall. I'm right up against the wall. That was one of the most incredible things. But Bush is, is a heck of a driver. He, he really is a phenomenal race car driver. As Scotty would tell you, Jimmy Johnson's my guy, and he can tell you how much of a fan I am. So we're, we'll get along well, Jim. So Hey, Jim, we, yeah, definitely, we want to have you out at Charlotte Motor Speedway maybe one, one time next year. And uh, we'd love to, uh, love to show you around and, and, and come enjoy uh, our, our weather stuff that we do there. 
Let's do it. I mean, think about it, guys. Uh, there isn't any sport that is more susceptible <laughs> to to running or not running than, than NASCAR, right? Uh, and, and you know as well as I do, Scotty, I mean, the way they tune those engines, uh, when, whether they're, you know, vying for position on a Friday night and then the front comes through and it's colder and drier on Sunday, you have to totally retune the race car. So there's a lot that goes in. People have no idea how much weather it goes into uh, to race car driving. So it's a big you're, deal. You're exactly I'll be happy right. to do it, brother. Yeah. Well, Jim, thank you so much. We, uh, we truly have enjoyed this hour and, uh, we'd love to have you back on whenever uh, your schedule allows. Let's do it. In the meantime, let's hope we set up the pattern for, uh, some active snow. Yeah. Right? Hey, that's, that's what we're all looking for. I'm ready to get out the door guys. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to shake a little bit. I, I gotta get out the door. <laughs> Except for those meteorologists like me who got off Christmas for the first time and don't want a major white Christmas. <laughs> right. Keep it, let it snow in January or something. <laughs> Point well taken, Ricky. Point well taken. Uh, well, thank you, Jim. We appreciate it. We know you got to get off because you got the Weather Channel uh, duties in the morning. So, once again, from all of us, uh, we appreciate appreciate your time. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get to sleep now. You guys had me talk about thunder snow on the last uh, segment here. So, I'm pretty jacked up now. But thank you. Seriously, let's do it again sometime. All right? We'd love to. Thank you. Have a, have a good one, Jim. All right. Thank you. You too, guys. All right, guys. Well, that was Jim Kenzori. What a great show. Uh, Ashley, we, we do have one question for you. Uh, one of our viewers was watching. Uh, her name also Ashley Patton. She was wanting to know, since with your uh, background in emergency management, what should folks do to be prepared for tropical activity now that we're in the off season? Well, what do you recommend folks to do uh, now while the tropics are quiet to get ready for uh, for next year? Well, that's going to kind of depend on where you live. So if you're living on the coast, you're going to want to take measures that have to do with storm surge and wind damage that might come your way. But if you're living inland, like our county is quite a bit inland, we're not so worried about the wind and the surge impacts. We're worried about the inland flooding. So depending on your geography, which I'm not sure exactly where she's at, if you know, do you know? I do not. She did not say. Okay, so... (laughs) I'll just take it from the inland perspective. So for my residents, I want them to have an idea of what they're going to do um, if we have flooding, which actually we have a lot of flash flooding as it is. So the plan would be very similar to what we would do during the summer for flooding. Um, But we want people to um, have a place to go because I saw this a lot in Houston. If you're going to go up to the higher stories and up to your attics and things like that, You need to take something sharp so you can get out onto the roof because we don't want you trapped in there. So having a plan if you need to get to higher ground is important. Um, We really want to hit home also people knowing um, if they're in the floodplain with insurance and documentation. So if you are around, you know, a river or stream in your area, you want to make sure that your house is protected and your stuff is protected and that you have coverage for those kinds of losses. And if you go ahead and Go through your house now and take pictures and do things like that. And claims later. Yeah, very good points. Got it. Yes, those are those are good points. Sorry, I was reading <laughs> another tweet there. Uh, just a lot of people appreciating uh, the show tonight. So uh, before that, well, I know uh, we do tweets of the week, but uh, before we do that, I want Ashley to kind of introduce herself. Um, Ashley was scheduled to be on our show a couple of weeks from now, but uh, with uh, tonight's show and next week's show, I thought they were, were pretty 
uh, vital to have Ashley in with us because they affected her area. Ashley uh, lives just outside of the uh, the Texas coast. So, Ashley, uh, before we get into uh, the latter part of the show, I'll let you introduce yourself, kind of tell all of our uh, followers and listeners tonight what you do, and then uh, we'll talk about the shows you're going to be on in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so as you guys know, my name is Ashley Morris. I am an emergency management specialist for Williamson County Emergency Management. Um, like I said, our county is quite a bit inland, but we still have tropical threats. Um, at my current position, I'm in charge of writing emergency plans. So that might be our uh, response plans for weather, severe weather, tornadoes. It could also be for hazmat incidents and also human impact incidences, which sometimes we forget. Not all disasters are natural, so we have to kind of cover all of that. Um, so I'm spending my time. Uh, writing those plans and also doing a lot of educational outreach to the public because we have studies that show if people are more prepared before the storm hits, recovery is actually quicker. And, and Ashley, with this hurricane season being so memorable and this our topic night being hurricanes, I want to get your thoughts just real quick on, uh, you know, hurricane season 2017 and what it meant for people in Texas and just kind of the emergency management agencies in general. Uh, I think this season definitely was a wake-up call, especially because we haven't had too many um, land hurricanes uh, occurring in our area. I think a lot of people have gotten really complacent um, just from the lack of storms, and that includes emergency managers. Um, We know we're supposed to be prepared, and we know that we have the plans to do so, but um, we do get a little more laid back if we're not constantly going through those plans. So this season was definitely a wake-up call. And I can say from experience, when I was watching the storm way out there about a week or two before it even made landfall, I was telling my director about it, and he was like, no, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, he was very laid back about it. And I don't know if that's wishful thinking or just we're used to not having it happen. So it was definitely changing. Um, I think the fact that the rain ban lined up over Houston like it did is going to make really big impacts on mitigation. And that's what we really want to see is in the rebuilding areas, mitigation being pushed, which uh, keeping up on social media, I think that uh, a lot of emergency managers are pushing rebuilding and mitigation styles, which is needed. So I'm kind of hoping that what Houston is doing in their recovery will actually funnel more towards the whole state because uh, I think as emergency managers, we get focused on response and not preparing and trying to prevent the devastation beforehand. Very good points. All right, Scotty, um, did you want to do tweets of the week here? Uh, it's a, up to you guys. Do you, do you guys want to share tweets? Yes, no. Well, I've got one I, I want to show. It, it, even okay. if everyone else gets the foghorn tonight because it's very timely. Um, and it comes from the Hampton, Virginia Police Department, my hometown. And after Hurricane Maria, which impacted Puerto Rico, they actually had an officer who couldn't get in touch with his father down there. And so he went to Puerto Rico with a couple other Hampton police department officers and they put together this cool video. I just retweeted it on my account. So if you want to go out there and check that out, uh, it's a really cool tweet and a really cool story. I have a tweet of the week just because I told uh, this gentleman, I would share his tweet of the week. So let me pull that up right quick. Uh, This was really cool and something that many people probably didn't know you could do. I can get screen share to work. All right. So this is from Lee Davis. Lee is, uh, he's like a weather enthusiast here in North Carolina. A lot of uh, us here in this uh, panel probably know Levis. Uh, Lee from uh, 
chatting in the uh, the weather chats that we do. But this was uh, taken from the Parkway late last week. This is the Blue Ridge Parkway, and on a clear sunny day you can see the skyline of charlotte which is about 90 miles away from where this photo was taken uh i'll be sure it may be hard to see right now but i'll uh, retweet this out and i'll let everyone uh, see this picture but again on a clear uh, sunny day just after thanksgiving uh up on the blue ridge parkway um the city of charlotte the skyscrapers of charlotte was um was able to to be seen so i thought that was pretty cool that is neat jared all right yeah, got mine. Yep. So happy birthday to go 16. Um, and, uh, tomorrow, uh, it, be, tomorrow at 12Z, it begins its, uh, drift maneuver, uh, to its operational position as goes east, which means we're going to be out without that sweet, sweet data for a couple weeks. Um, Jim gets the shakes from not getting out into the field. I'm going to get the shakes from not having just absolutely gorgeous 16 bands of beautiful high-resolution satellite data. But uh, it's going to be okay. It's it, We're going to get through this together, um, and uh, we're going to have some really amazing data to be able to work with. Again, Go16 was a phenomenal tool uh, this season, and uh, really, really excited to have it as Gozies to um, – you see, hopefully, you know, a bunch of hurricanes miss land masses uh, over the next uh, 10 years of its operational life. So, um, yeah, so that drift maneuver begins tomorrow. And then uh, from November 14th to the 20th, I would say uh, uh, any time in there, it becomes operational goes. And um, going, going, uh, going. So there you go. All right. And we, we know where it's going. We, we know it's going to uh, 89 and a half west. Mm-hmm. which happens to get a very, very good view of Memphis. So we're just very pleased that it's coming right over the uh, – put Memphis right in the center of its uh, amazing regional uh, coverage. As always, right right in the middle of everything. Uh, I, I think Memphis – we should have mentioned this on the show, but I think you guys in Memphis was pretty much in the middle of all of the uh, tropical activities. <laughs> we were, yes, we, we were the uh, the inland location where all of the storms came to die, I think, this year. <laughs> Yes, there you go. Uh, I will, uh, I will share what I have tonight. Uh, let's see if I can get it here. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Hang on just a second. Sorry about that. While Eric is doing that, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Peter and James and Shay. They've uh, been working on a lot of stuff this uh, afternoon, and especially thanks to Jared for the new uh, drop-down boxes, little uh, third, uh, one-third things that you see on our names. So thank you to that gentleman. Yeah, they look great. All right, so this is um, this is from Knoxville at a football game. Uh, this was November 18th when there was uh, – Strong front that came through, and actually this this front came through Memphis when we were playing a home game uh, earlier in the day. We had a midday right around noontime, and Knoxville, uh, the, the Vols were playing in the evening. And there was actually, this was ahead of that line of storms, but uh, I don't know if, any, if, if people have seen this, but it looks like the video's not going to play. I'll just kind of fast forward. There's a piece of the scoreboard that flew off and hit somebody in the – Environmental winds out ahead of the uh, out ahead of the line, so it wasn't actually it was before the line got there, but it came down from the scoreboard, and there it is. Um, I, I could make some jokes about the state of UT football <laughs> <laughs> with that, but I won't go there. I'm sure that's really filled up your time on this weekend, hasn't Ricky? Oh gosh, I've never <laughs> seen people more angry 
It was kind of <laughs> awesome. But <laughs> that's remarkable, though. A lot of times, uh, as you know, across Tennessee, we get these very strong gradient winds ahead of a cold front. And I'll tell you, I have never worked in an area um, like this one before where we get such strong winds, uh, especially sometimes we get these mountain wave wind events that come in and you just get such strong gusts ahead of the front. Uh, sometimes 60, 80 miles per hour. Of course, we're, we're approaching the anniversary or past the anniversary now yesterday of Gatlinburg. And that was ahead of a front, a mountain wave wind event that just had those gusty winds right there in the Knoxville area. So that, that uh, particular front came through and it, it, I mean, it moved. Very quickly, so it it dropped rain for it was pretty torrential, but it lasted about fifteen or twenty minutes, caused a you know sixty minute uh, lightning delay that we had here. Um, but but like you said, the gradient winds out ahead of it, you know, straight out of the south were probably in the thirty to thirty five mile an hour range, and then as soon as that front moved through, they shifted around to the northwest, and we gusted almost to fifty behind the front. So just a you know very powerful uh, frontal system that moved through. We had a gust 58 at the, uh, or 60 at the Tri-Cities Airport actually triggered severe thunderstorm warning with a non-thunderstorm. It's funny how those go sometimes. Uh, Jay, you had something? Yeah, Ricky, uh, let's see. I'm trying to get this to play. I may have to, to reload it here. But uh, this is uh, the Popocatépetl volcano in Mexico uh, erupting on November the 24th, which was pretty phenomenal to be able to catch. They, they caught on surveillance video. Uh, I do have a little bit of a cleaner version here on YouTube where you can actually see it in color and that black and white up to the right corner. But it, it sent plumage and ash up to, what, 3,280 feet, uh, about two kilometers above its peak. So pretty neat to catch a major eruption like that uh, on camera. And, and speaking of which, we have a little bit of other volcanic activity going on around the world. In Indonesia, Bali, Mount Agung has erupted. So, um, yeah, we tend to see, we're starting to see that a little bit more and more. And we have some earthquake activity followed by some vol- volcanic activities, uh, around, around those areas. So, uh, pretty neat, pretty neat to see it all. Shay, could you, could you say that one more time? Yeah, please. The, My, say the name of the, uh, the volcano. The volcano, sorry. Oh, the Popocapetl? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's the, uh, I think that's the language of the bells from what I remember in, in, in my Spanish concentration was, some of the um, the different languages in Mexico, but that one ends in a TL, so it's like the the bells of the la la. Uh, you don't get you don't get that on any other weather podcast than this one right here. So, well, there, no, there's one now. There's some town in Ireland that I, I want to learn, and I can't remember. It's really really long and funky, and, and it's a challenge to meteorologists. But uh, if you can sneak that into a forecast, it's pretty amazing if you, <laughs> you can pull it off right without stuttering. Did, did you guys see the video from Morgan Palmer up in? Uh... Washington of all the river names, they all started with S and there were like eight or nine of them. I'll have to find that and retweet it, but it was pretty crazy. All the ones he had to say, and uh, he earned his money that night for sure. And Shay, while you're on, I want to say uh, thank you for lining up that interview. That was uh, really cool. And I think we've all been wanting to get Jim on for a long time and you was able to uh, hit a home run. So I appreciate that. And I think a lot of our followers do. We had a big turnout tonight and a lot of good comments and questions. So thank you for that. Sure thing. Yeah. He's, he was excited about coming on tonight. So we're, you know, now, now that he's been on the show and, and enjoyed, we had a you know, great conversation. I mean, we, we covered a lot of topics in one hour. I'm telling you, to wrap up a season in one hour uh, with a prominent figure like that is, is amazing. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground there. But, um, yeah, man, yeah, we're looking, looking forward to, to our future shows. What do we have coming up? 
Well, before you do that, I do want to say we had a, a joining. Uh, uh, Peter and James finally got to meet in the Starbucks in Philly. So, gentlemen, how's your afternoon been? <laughs> oh, it's just wonderful. It's just, how how are you doing? Scotty, in the history of the sh- show, has two panelists ever sit together? I don't think so. This is a first. Yeah, this I is think a first. So. we broke records. Uh, this was a record-breaking show. Next up, we'll have the, uh, just like Weather Brains, we'll have to start doing shows from the NWA conference. <laughs> Let's see. I, Shay and I have met, and then Ricky, obviously Ricky and I, we've met many times, but I don't think that we've ever had two panelists on together at the same time. I, I was curious if Peter ever got out of his closet or not, to be honest with you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Move to the local Starbucks. So. Well, how do you know this isn't a green screen behind me? Kind of looks like a closet. I mean, big closet. <laughs> walk-in closet. So, right. so, James, how has your visit been to Philly? I mean, did, did I Peter say the luck? I need to thank Peter and his local Starbucks for their hospitality. Uh, Peter, we'll let you uh, tag them in t- on Twitter this week. Maybe we can get a, a conversation like we do with Cinnabon. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I dissed Cinnabon this week. I uh, sorry about that. I I should have. Like yeah, I should have given him one. But make him. Hey, it's still eight o'clock. The mall's still open. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they're, they're going to be throwing us out of Starbucks in a minute. Uh, and Jared, once again, thank you for your uh, your graphic designing skills today. Awesome stuff. I try, Ben. I try. And then, Ashley, we thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you for the next couple of weeks talking about that. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, Hurricane Harvey, before, during, and after Hurricane Harvey. Uh, we touched on that tonight, but next week, we're going to go in-depth as we have uh, Tom Johnstone and uh, Jeff Evans, both uh, meteorologists in charge at the uh, Weather Service Office in Corpus Christi, as well as Houston, Texas. So uh, that'll be next week, and then the week after that, we have Ashley for the whole hour. She's going to be talking to us about uh, her job, what she does there in uh, Texas, and also some of her studies with tornadoes. So uh, looking forward to having Ashley back with us on the 13th. And then as we round out the year, December 20th, uh, we have our annual visit with Dr. Marshall Shepard of uh, the Weather Channel, the Weather Geeks, and University of Georgia. And so uh, we're going to be kind of recapping the entire 2017 weather season with Marshall and then we normally take the last week off of the month, so uh, we won't be around on the 27th, but we've already got episodes lined up for January. I think we're fully booked through January 24th, so uh, lots of shows coming out in January. So you guys have anything to add before uh, we kind of log off here? Yeah, I got one thing, Scotty, and that's just if you're joining us right now at 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time, our normal show time, we were on early for Jim Cantori. So if you're tuning in looking for Jim Cantori, we're going to hop off, and this will become available on demand, and you can play it back. That's right. And as always, uh, make sure you share the word about Carolina Weather Group. And uh, Peter's laughing about something. but <laughs> James, James, how much did you pay for water at Starbucks? At Starbucks, so it was like $16. <laughs> and they probably got out of the toilet. Uh, well, uh, yeah, gl- glacial milk, right? Is that what they call it? <laughs> Before this show goes in the toilet, let's log off. Thanks, everyone, for watching us tonight on the Carolina Weather Group. As always, you can listen to us anytime on the uh, Apple uh, iTunes Store, your uh, Google Play Store, your favorite place to uh, download a podcast, or you can watch us anytime on YouTube uh, or on our YouTube page. So until next week, we hope you have a great weekend, and thank you uh, for joining in, and we hope to see you next week. Quick shout-out to Cinnabon. Thanks, Cinnabon.